This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Islamic threat to Western civilization is not limited to Israel. Other than the gathering clouds of yet another contentious election, the biggest news stories of the day is the battle between Israel and Hamas terrorists. The media coverage of this story is telling. Israel is immediately connected with Judaism and Zionism. Yet there seems to be a reluctance to draw the obvious connection of Hamas and Islam. There is even a greater reluctance to recognize that Islam is an inherent enemy to Western culture. Perhaps this attitude of willful ignorance is most present in America's World War II allies, France and Great Britain. This is especially curious in light of the substantial Islamic populations in both countries. Mr. John Horvat examines the situation in France in his essay, Why are people ignoring the slow-motion jihad that rages inside France? While peace seems to reign, many countries are threatened by what might be called slow-motion wars. These conflicts involve a gradual destruction of society, structures, and security inside a climate of uneasy peace. The devastation of war occurs not at once, but over time. An example of one slow-motion war is the ongoing jihad inside France. Indeed, there is no formal declaration of war and even the appearance of normalcy on many city streets. However, violent Islamic sectors inside France engage in acts of daily violence that resemble a warlike situation. Society suffers as if a war, or in this case a jihad, were formally declared. The Gatestone Institute reports that there is a jihad on churches in France today. The evidence is overwhelming. Through the length and breadth of France, destroyed, vandalized, burned, and damaged churches abound. Priests and faithful are threatened by aggression. A map published by Christianophobie.fr is covered with red pins, marking points of violence that spare no region or city. The report claims that an average of two attacks on churches a day are the norm in France. Many of these buildings are ancient and historical landmarks. The culprits, in most cases, are not brought to justice. In many scenes, anti-Jesus and pro-Muhammad graffiti on nearby walls leaves no doubt as to the influence of Islam. Shouts of Allah Akbar also ring out near the sites. According to journalist Sonia Dalmans, most targets are Catholic churches. She notes that crucifixes, organs, altars, and other religious symbols are regularly destroyed or stolen. Statues of saints also suffer. In a church in Angiers, Seven statues were beheaded or amputated in April this year. Stained glass windows of old churches are also regularly smashed by vandals. Unquote. These vandals also target graveyards, especially the crosses atop gravestones that are often destroyed or stolen. The map of incidents also records interruption of services by gangs and youth. Several priests have been severely beaten. Most of these incidents go unreported or little noticed, as if they are part of the daily way of life in postmodern France. Tragically, France, 
known as the firstborn daughter of the church for her zeal for the faith, no longer reacts to these insults and sacrileges. France is at war, a slow-motion war that is gradually destroying what is left of the once-Christian nation. What makes matters worse is that there is a one-sided war where the Christian side is hampered by those who refuse to recognize the destruction or blame the perpetrators. Church officials who administer the damaged buildings call for dialogue. Other war deniers, such as city officials, call for understanding and engagement with the enemy. They blame the victims for the violence because of their systemic colonialism or racism. These incidents are not limited to France. They also occur with great frequency in Spain, Germany, the United Kingdom, and Sweden, with large Muslim populations. The West generally treats these attacks with astonishing indifference and even woke indignation. The postmodern narratives of the oppressed Muslim people living in Europe seem to justify the anger of those who target the church. Progressive church officials can always be counted on to minimize the damage to their own buildings and reach out to these so-called marginalized people. However, the result of these attacks is like that of a war. It is a slow-motion war that day in, day out, destroys centuries of French heritage and history. It is no less real than if a Muslim power were to declare war, invade the country, and destroy churches and all signs of Christianity. It is a religious war upon Christianity, and Christians will lose this war if they do not wake up. The main enemy is not the terrorist destroyers, but those who facilitate the destruction by taking a suicidal course of aiding the enemy through their false narratives that deprive Christians of a means of self-defense. The American TFP has never been silent about the threat of Islam. In 2018, Mr. Edward Benson reviewed scholar Luis Sergio Salomeo's important book on that subject. The review was titled, New Book by Catholic Scholar, Islam and the Suicide of the West, Reveals Great Threat. A hard-hitting new book on Islam has just been released that dismantles many of the myths that cloud the debate on the Muslim threat. Islam and the Suicide of the West, The Origin, Doctrine, and Goals of Islam by Luis Sergio Solomeo is a book that should be read by any Christian who wants to know about Islam, what Islam teaches about Christians, and the reasons that dialogue is not just futile, but dangerous. The author, Luis Sergio Solomeo, is a scholar, researcher, and educator who has written numerous books, articles, and essays on the effects of religion on culture. He is currently a researcher and writer for the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP, headquartered near York, Pennsylvania. Admiral James A. Lyons, retired, wrote the book's foreword in which he stated that Mr. Salomeo, quote, clearly and concisely makes the case and provides the facts that support the belief that Islam is a totalitarian ideology bent on world domination, masquerading as a religion, unquote. Many of the myths of Islam are based on an improper knowledge of its doctrines and beliefs. 
Mr. Salameo provides a concise explanation by citing the Quran and Islamic authors. He also looks at the history of Islam and its internal contradictions. His book spotlights many reasons why so-called dialogue with Islam will not work. Among these are the refusal of Muslims to assimilate into the general society, the nature of Sharia law, and the totalitarian nature of Islamic teaching. It also points out the failure of the Church to realize the dangers involved in pursuing dialogue in the name of a false ecumenism. This book puts the battle with Islam in perspective, said American TFP President Raymond E. Drake. We are sure that it will play a big role in the debate over the Islamic threat to the West. Unquote. Those who want to understand better Islam and its doctrine will want to read Islam and the Suicide of the West. The PDF edition can be downloaded for free, and the print version can be purchased at www.tfp.org. The struggle against Islam, of course, has its roots in religion. However, it is not purely a religious struggle. This struggle is over culture and ideology. The eminent scholar and longtime friend of the TFP, Roberto de Mattei, puts that struggle into a larger context in his essay, The West at War. Allahu Akbar! Allah is great! This cry has resounded all over the world through videos that documented the violence of Islamic militants against women, children, and young people of all nationalities, massacred or kidnapped on October 7, 2023, while an avalanche of rockets beat down on Israel. The same invocation, Allahu Akbar, rang out again in the days that followed in the Arab squares and on pro-Islamic Western social media to celebrate the aggression of Hamas against Israel. It matters little that this has occurred on Israeli rather than European territory. What counts is that a new war has been declared. The attack came at the dawn of a symbolic day for the West, the anniversary of the victory at Lepanto on October 7, 1571, just as the attack on the Twin Towers coincided with the anniversary of the liberation of Vienna from the Turks, which came about between September 11th and 12th, 1683. Two emblematic events, which for Islam must be avenged through jihad, the so-called Holy War, the doctrine that obliges every Muslim to bring the world under Sharia, the religious and political law of Allah. Islam is not a monolithic religion, but all of its branches agree on the need to fight against the corrupt West. In this struggle, Islam does not distinguish between Christians and Jews. February 23, 1998, saw the release of the Declaration of the World Islamic Front for Jihad against the Jews and the Crusaders, inspired and signed by Osama bin Laden and Ayman al-Zawahiri. The first objective of the Islamic Front, as of the Islamic resistance movement, Hamas, is the reconquest of Jerusalem, the city from which the Prophet Muhammad is said to have ascended in a chariot of fire and where the Al-Aqsa Mosque stands, built on the ruins of the temple. The second objective is the conquest of Rome, called the Kazil Elma, the Red Apple, 
in analogy with the golden globe that surmounted the statue of the emperor Constantine in the Byzantine capital. After Constantinople, Rome became the Red Apple, that is, the final destination of the triumph of Islam over Christianity. Islam's strategy of expansion foresees the migratory invasion of Europe and the destruction of the state of Israel. In the days of the attack on Israel, the alliance of mosques was born in Paris, the new association of Muslims all over Europe, inspired by the wing of the Muslim Brotherhood, which theorizes the soft jihad and the gentle Islamization of Europe. The Hamas attack of October 7th is indeed a dramatic expression of the hard jihad, which involves terrorism and war. Behind the former strategic approach is Turkey, which controls the migratory flow into Europe and, for years, has aspired to become part of the European Union in order to destroy it. Behind the latter approach is Iran, through its agents Hamas and Hezbollah, which are pressing their siege to the south and north of the state of Israel. On October 5th, a report was presented at the Luce University in Rome, produced by the Medor Foundation on the topic Silent Enemy, the Presence and Evolution of the Jihadist Threat in the Wider Mediterranean. The report describes in detail the development of the jihadist phenomenon, operating in many areas of the wider Mediterranean, with particular attention on Africa, the main incubation area of this phenomenon. The Ukrainian conflict has monopolized international attention, but jihadism, the report warns, is part of a far-reaching operation to destabilize the West in a geopolitical context in which Islam is not the only agent. On October 5th, Vladimir Putin spoke at the 20th Assembly of the Valdai Discussion Club, a Russian think tank. In his keynote speech on fair multipolarity, Putin spoke of the existence of an ongoing war of civilizations and appealed to the ties that Russia maintains with the Arab world, China, and India to combat the hegemonic role of the West. Moreover, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict has revealed the existence of an internal front within Europe and the United States, which looks with favor upon Putin and criticizes the Western support for Ukraine. The idea of enemies of the West seems to be evaporating from the awareness of part of European public opinion. This attitude of benevolence toward the aggressors is one of the psychological factors that explain the debacle of the Israeli intelligence system, considered the most efficient in the world, but which proved incapable of foreseeing the attack of October 7th, due in part to having deluded itself about the possibility of dialogue between Israel and Hamas. Meanwhile, a third war front is about to be opened in Taiwan, which China is preparing to invade. It will not be easy for the United States to simultaneously support its allies on multiple battlefields in Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and the Far East. This is taking place a year from the American elections, in which the stage has been set for a struggle between two candidates, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, 
worn out and crippled for various reasons. Meanwhile, in the European elections, the victory of a third party is looming, along the lines of new Slovakian President Robert Fico and the possible French President Marine Le Pen, both determined to widen the gap between Europe and the United States. It is only on the weakness of the West that its enemies are counting, especially after the shameful abandonment of Afghanistan in 2021, which marked a severe moral defeat for the United States and Europe. This weakness, before being political, is moral, having its root in the West's loss of identity. One typically eloquent symptom of this waywardness is offered to us by the current situation in which the Catholic Church finds itself. In the meditation given on October 1st to the participants in the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops, Father Timothy Ratcliffe, former Master General of the Dominicans, began by saying, quote, When the Holy Father asked me to give this retreat, I felt enormously honored but nervous. I am deeply aware of my personal limitations. I am old, white, a Westerner, and a man. I don't know which is worse. All of these aspects of my identity limit my understanding. So I ask for your forgiveness for the inadequacy of my words. Unquote. The rejection of one's identity as white, as a Westerner, as a man, and why not also as a priest, reveals the abyss into which the leaders of the church are plunging in the face of an attack that is far worse than that of the barbarian invasions of the 5th and 6th centuries. Back then, the church, guided by great pontiffs, did not abandon the post, while today it declines to carry out its mission. A profound theological difference exists between Catholics and Jews, who, in their denial of the Holy Trinity, are more akin to Islam than to the Church of Rome. But what remains of Christian Europe is fighting against the same enemy as that of Israel. In the same way, Russia wants to take up the legacy of Constantinople, while Islam is the heir of the Turks who destroyed it. But today, they have a common enemy. This enemy is the West also the economic, political, and military target of communist China, which lays claim to the errors of Marx and Lenin, spread by Russia throughout the world. The confusion is dramatic, and war, like natural disasters, seems to be gripping Europe in an inexorable encirclement. It is a war of chaos that cannot be escaped, as Vittorio Macchiosi wrote in Il Journal on October 9th, It is a fate that pursues you house by house and touches Europe and Italy. Unquote. Italy is the heart of the world because it hosts the sea of the Chair of Peter, which is the sole foundation of a possible rebirth of Christian civilization. And it is necessary to remember when all seems lost, that all is possible to God. We must believe this with profound trust in divine providence in one of the darkest hours of humanity's history. Given the potential of a war between Islam and Western civilization, there are many who cry for a ceasefire. Among these are many who see little difference between Islam and Christianity. 
Many of these are quite willing to abandon their own faiths to prevent an armed struggle. In this 2021 essay, Pope Francis's Abrahamic Religions, Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo considered the position taken by many Vatican officials. During his Iraq trip from March 5th to 8th, 2021, Pope Francis said more than once that Abraham is at the root of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. On arriving, he told civil authorities that he was coming to the land, quote, linked through the patriarch Abraham and a number of the prophets to the religious traditions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, unquote. The Supreme Pontiff repeated the idea the next day in an interfaith meeting at the ruins of Ur, saying that he would return, quote, to the birth of our religions, here where Abraham our father lived, unquote. In the prayer of the children of Abraham, with which he closed his speech, he said that, as children of Abraham, Jews, Christians, and Muslims, he thanked God for having given Abraham to be our common father in faith, unquote. This conception stems from the confusing passages in the Vatican II documents Lumen Gentium, number 16, and Nostra Aete, number 3. They imply that a present-day Judaism and Islam originated with the patriarch Abraham. These texts show the influence of French Orientalist Father Louis Massignon, 1883-1962, and his theory on Abrahamic religions, which supposedly include Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. The defenders of the unproven theory that Muslims descend from Abraham claim that this was through Ishmael. This notwithstanding, one must remember that the patriarch's blessing passed on to his descendants through Isaac and Jacob, not through Ishmael, his son with Hagar. Accordingly, even if Muslims descended from Ishmael, Islam could not be called an Abrahamic religion in the spiritual sense. Indeed, the book of Genesis reads, Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live in your presence. That will be enough. But God replied, Yes, your wife Sarah will bear you a son whom you must name Isaac, and I shall maintain my covenant with him, a covenant in perpetuity, to be his God and the God of his descendants after him. For Ishmael true, I grant your request. I hereby bless him and will make him fruitful and extremely numerous. He will be the father of twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I shall maintain with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear you at this time next year. See Genesis 17, verses 18 to 21. Although divine revelation excludes a spiritual bond between Abraham and Muslims, does this preclude biological ones? There is no evidence of such ancestral ties. Father René Daghorn made a meticulous study of Arab genealogies before Islam's appearance in 622 AD and found that the names Abraham, Ibrahim, Ishmael, and Hagar were not used. However, if the Arabs descended from Ishmael, Father Daghorn concludes, they would have kept the memory of those names, using them for their children. Islamicist Father Antoine Moussali, 
shows further that the biblical and Quranic Abrahams have nothing in common. God's promise to scriptures Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Quran presents Abraham as the defender of God's oneness. Another Islamicist, Father Francois Jordan, asks, How can Abraham be the father of different religions? Under what title is Abraham a father in the faith? How is he the father in our respective faiths, since they are different? Unquote. He explains that Islam is more appropriately termed an Adamic religion, since it considers Adam to have been the first monotheistic prophet. Abraham was not the founder of a religion. God chose him as the patriarch of what would become the chosen people, from whom the Son of God would be born according to the flesh. God's covenant with Abraham was due to his faith, fidelity, and confidence. After the test of sacrificing his son Isaac, God blessed him, promising him enormous posterity and great power. His descendants would be blessed because of him. See Genesis chapter 18. However, biological heredity alone would not suffice to make children of Abraham. His descendants needed to participate in Abraham's spirit and his fidelity to God's promise. St. John the Baptist rebuked the Pharisees and Sadducees, who believed themselves saved because they descended from Abraham, saying, Bring forth therefore fruit worthy of penance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. See Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Jesus himself admonished the Pharisees that it was not enough to be a descendant of Abraham in the flesh. They said, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith to them, If you be the children of Abraham, do the works of Abraham. See St. John chapter 8, verse 39. Spiritually, the devil was the Pharisees' father, not Abraham. For the Savior went on to say, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. See St. John chapter 8, verse 44. Having abandoned the promised Redeemer, the Jews stopped being children of Abraham in the spiritual sense because they denied the very purpose of the promise given by God to the patriarch, namely, the coming of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul teaches that those who believe in Christ are Abraham's true children. He writes to the Galatians, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. To Abraham were the promises made and to his seed. He said not, and to his seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. See Galatians chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. Cornelius Alapide, the great exegete, comments on this passage, quote, The promise of the Spirit to the children of Abraham, i.e. to those who believe in Christ. Abraham's descendant was promised the Holy Spirit to justify and sanctify us. For when God said to Abraham, Thee, it was to his seed, which is Christ, that the blessing was appointed. Unquote. Instead of defending faith's orthodoxy, strengthening Catholics' fidelity, and thus obtaining the conversion of infidels, 
Pope Francis is concerned only with dialoguing with the latter. The result is that neither infidels convert nor are Catholics confirmed in the faith. Confusion is constantly increasing and apostasy with it because of the omissions of the church's supreme pastor to confirm those baptized into the faith. See St. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Like Abraham, we must have absolute trust in God and expect his intervention today, like the angel he sent in the Old Testament to prevent Isaac's immolation. Let us pray to Our Lady of Confidence, Mater Mea, Fiducia Mea, so that she may help us in these terrible times. This concludes. The Islamic threat to Western civilization is not limited to Israel. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2024 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.